Hello guys, welcome to the Mentality Podcast. This is a special one. It's the first ever podcast that we've done with a live audience. We did it live with Zoom. It's World Mental Health Day today as I'm recording. We've just finished it with the main man, Lloyd Ashley, the Welsh Rugby Union star. He lives over there in South Wales plays for the Ospreys and he also has started his own platform to raise awareness of mental health especially from the game that he's playing and the insights that he's had as a massive rugby union player in stature and in status. Lloyd Ashley has created his own platform called Living Well with Lloyd Ashley and we get into this, we speak about vulnerability, we speak about when it's alright for a rugby player to be vulnerable, the different perceptions of that and our experiences in the game we talk about our career highlights and we also get on to some questions from you guys you amazing people that managed to join us and make the podcast even better and make it feel even more real even more authentic and to be able to steer the conversation around to what you guys might want to know from from two crazy rugby league players crazy rugby union players like ourselves do enjoy the podcast guys and want to say as of now if you're listening to it today on world mental health day the 10th of october we're having a flash sale of 25 percent on all of mentality products you will be able to pick up a bargain but you will also be able to support the cause and support the why for why we do it we've just recently been able to put a young fella through five counselling sessions uh, to really help change his life, to shift his thinking in mental health and to help him through a tough, tough time that he's been going through. So that's why we do it. That's why we sell t-shirts and apparel and now face masks. So so do get on there, support us and have a look on patreon.com forward slash mentality if you want to get involved in future things like this. Cheers guys, enjoy the podcast. You're all legends and being able to do this and do these podcasts do these talks really really lights me up in what is a tough time for me so thank you guys see you next time without further ado guys um lloyd lloyd actually i have met lloyd just a bit of um, background um we've not met in person We've sort of met virtually, as everyone does nowadays. Um, but we, we started chatting around mental health a little bit, um, as rugby league players, rugby union players. Um, he's obviously from the other side, the dark side, but he, uh, he's, um, he's, he's, a, he's a big fella and um, it, it, it do some damage in rugby league too. So Lloyd, could you introduce yourself to the gang that we have today? Yeah, morning all. Um, I'd like to say, uh, first of all, like happy mental health, a world mental health day. I think it's brilliant. The fact that we're, we're all here being able to have a conversation. Um, like we just spoke about Stevie, we, we wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't online because it'd be, you wouldn't want to drive down here and I certainly wouldn't want to go up north. So uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty good platform to do a tour on. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Um, really looking forward to it but yeah like Stevie said um, I'm from the tidy rugby uh, sport the one that's played around the world rather than in about three counties um, so uh, um, and yeah I've been fortunate enough to meet Stevie I listened to Stevie on a podcast on somebody else's podcast actually not his own 
and then sort of start following the work mentality he was doing. And at the time, I was just launching my own company called uh, Living Well with Lloyd Ashley, which is uh, works pretty similar around um, the stuff that Stevie's doing, around changing uh, the stigma around mental health. And the one thing I really liked about mentality, it wasn't just about breaking down the stigma, it was going further. Um, the education uh, and education from loads of different platforms because at times we get sidetracked into thinking there's one way to deal with everything. Um, and we obviously get sidetracked as well into thinking unless we've had a major trauma in our lives. We haven't got mental health, but we all know we've all got mental health. And that's the reason I've got into it. And I think the macho environment doesn't always uh, speak the truth of their uh, people underneath the mask. And Hopefully, we're starting to get there slowly. And uh, I've seen at the Ospreys, uh, the rugby club, uh, the, where I'm a professional, that things have changed hugely over the last couple of years. And hopefully, that continues, uh, whether that's with education, more people speaking out, or whether it's through um, activities like this as well, where we're able to uh, be a little bit vulnerable, speak our truths, and get other people involved in that. So that's why... That's why I'm here. That's why I've set up uh, Living Well with Lloyd Ashley. And if any of you are on uh, Instagram for Stevie Steels, all of you, um, as also Living Well with Lloyd Ashley's on Instagram and try to get professional athletes from all around the world speaking about why they think uh, mental health is so important and the why we deal with it. And so far, it's been uh, a big success. Um, and obviously, Stevie's helped me out along the way as well. So... That's why we're here today, and I'm looking forward to where the conversation goes and find out a bit more about Stevie's career, um, what, he, what he's really taken from the work he's done over the last couple of years, because whatever, when we have this conversation today, everybody's going to take something different out of it. I think that's really important, and also perspective. So when we go to uh, questions after, there'll be lots of people who see things from their own viewpoint, and that's important as well to understand where we're all coming from. So... Uh, like I said earlier, thank you for coming, everybody. But Stevie, uh, you told me you'd tell me your career highlight next as well. So I'm pretty much looking forward to to that so we can compare uh, the, the league to union as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think um, we are in a time now where the um, certainly the roadmap um, for free freedom of speech and, and free speech is sort of getting tighter and tighter and um, moving moving closer and closer in. Um, so I think conversations around stuff like uh, mental health, especially for me, is, is a real passion. Um, I recognise quite a few of you guys, obviously met a few of you guys, um, and um, recognise your, I don't know what, uh, Instagram names or whatever it is um, that, that's, that's knocking about my, own, uh, my mind. Hannah Campbell actually um, comes into this because she, I met Hannah um the other week on a, a yoga retreat in Portugal, um, as I, uh, I've been taking a bit of time out because I had too many knocks to the head. Um, so that the reason I mentioned that is because I think there's been a big shift, or there is a big shift in how people not only discuss mental health, but how they approach it. And I put something out yesterday on Instagram and it was it was um, with a bit of a, a funny picture of me, but it was a quote that was basically saying that um, I believe that as men, especially as men, um, the next step for us to evolve is to approach mental health in a different way. 
Um, and I think that conversations like this, conversations that, that Lloyd sort of outlined there that, that might be going on at Ospreys down in, in South Wales, but also um, up north in the northern rugby league macho territories, um, I think that's a, a great place to start for it all to filter down society. Um, so that's that's why I feel like this is an important conversation and a good day to do it on. But I also feel that um, we can we can do something about when we can all we can all take that message on. Um, I'd say that the, the, the sort of the highlights of my career um, sort of encompasses or sort of entails the 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 the, the ups and the downs on the spectrum of mental health that I've had in, in rugby league. Um, I sort of going into introing my career into probably for a bit more depth um, for people and, and maybe more on a basic level too that people don't don't know me or don't know my story, but. I, um, I I sort of had a meteoric rise at 18 years old uh, as a rugby league player and came to fruition and sort of, whilst I was sort of dreaming of doing the stuff, I was sort of still in dream phase while I was doing it. I was sort of living the dream. I, uh, I juggled my A-levels with full-time training in rugby league, um, which was quite chaotic. A normal day for me would have looked like getting up at 6am or leaving the house at 6am, doing a training session over at Kirkstall at the other side of Leeds for me, coming back over to Morley and going to um, do my A-levels at a full, full pay of school, which I went to school with Dom Smith there, who um, probably just built himself out of bed at, at half eight, but uh, a <laughs> normal, normal day for me, a normal day for me would have been that, and it was, it was quite hectic. Um, so I sort of, 16, 17, I sort of came into a, a quite a, well, I don't know, it was sort of like a baptism of fire. But I managed to pick my A-level results up um, at 18 years old. And then a few weeks later, a few weeks after that, I um, played a Challenge Cup final at Wembley in front of 80,000 people alongside childhood heroes, you know, Kevin Sinfield, Jamie Peacock, Dan Maguire, Rob Burrow, all these people that I'd been starstruck by a couple of years before. Um, and it was sort of like, a, it, 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 it was unreal for me to do it. And, and we actually lost that final, but a few months after that, uh, managed to win a grand final at Old Trafford. Um, and like, I look back at, at that experience and it was just, it was the trajectory of my career that I always wanted, that I always wished for, that I sort of expected and, and saw other people expected as well. But after that, um, I sort of hit my first roadblock. I, I dislocated my shoulder and damaged all the nerves down my arm. That was like the first roadblock in my career. Um, and that was a nine-month injury, something that went on longer because of the nerve damage. That was a nine-month injury, but that was part of the game, that was part of the job, if you like, being a rugby league player. But the, the time after that was the, the time that I struggled and during this time, it was 2014, I was in and out of the team and I wasn't playing to the perception of how I knew I could play or the perception of how others um, knew I could play. Um, I was very much not in alignment with values that I've sort of later discovered on reflection and joined dots and connecting the dots. Um, but I really struggled with that and that's that's when I took to Telegram. I was depressed um, and I had no sort of governance on on 
on how to act or how to behave or how to live my life with that adversity. And whilst I was going through this, I looked around, um, not just in my immediate surroundings, but I looked around in the sport-related arena, I looked around in, in, in rugby league, in, in football, if you like, and in all these different things. And I realised that mental health was sort of like this elephant in the room, like no one, no one really talked about it, no one really dared speak about it. And I'm going on, I'm, I've got all this sort of emotions coming up, all these frustrations, and um, it was just it was nothing, nothing was happening, and, and I couldn't relate with anyone. Um, and I've, I've got this background of uh, my mum and dad um, met on a bike rally, and they're always listening to bands like Pink Floyd, listening to bands like Led Zeppelin, all this sort of stuff. And um, they, they, they sort of have a different background to me. My dad played rugby league um, when he was younger, but, but um, started, I think, to stop playing when, when he was introduced to, um, to, to booze and women. Um, but I carried on, I guess, with my career. But the, 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 the arena in which I also had a foot in or an interest in was, was the music arena, the art arena, um, sort of, you know, the, the, the sort of more esoteric. Um, and that was very much something or an area which addressed mental health, which spoke about it, which spoke about it being a part of the life, a part of their world. And in the sport-related arena, it was non-existent or it was like, no, we don't even look to be vulnerable or we don't even mention any vulnerabilities. Um, and, and, and that sort of was strange to, to me. That was strange to me as a, as a young man um, and I didn't feel like I could assess it or address my issues properly. I just had to sort of, you know, take some telegram and just get on with stuff and, and um, go out and train and keep getting better and keep getting better. Um, that's sort of the, the way that I came into thinking about mental health. I came into sort of... Um, or came into the absence of, of thinking about mental health and, and there's been some episodes later on in my life which have made me look at it. So like we're on World Mental Health Day now, but we, uh, I'm always aware of it. I'm sort of always aware of mental health. I'm always aware of, of what you must do to better it, um, how mental health being addressed as a team can improve performance and you can win things with that. You can connect with people. You can um, go on journeys with, with people and you, you can get close to people too. Uh, so that, that's something that I've started learning as I've gone on the last, last few years um, and setting off on that sort of self-discovery and discovery of mental health. Um, back in 2016, which it seemed a long time ago, and that was it's four years ago, four and a bit years ago since um, we created Mantelli. Um, so that's sort of the, the way that I've been thrust upon um, mental health but the reason I mention all that is is I went on a long journey there but uh, uh, the reason I mention all that is because of the career highlights I feel like you know those when I was 18 I managed to do and, and sort of you know win a grand final at 18 years old which I was the youngest player to do it then um, but I feel like after learning all this stuff uh, the, the career highlight for me was 2017, um, winning a grand final with a dislocated shoulder the, the week before, six days before, um, which sounds pretty mental um, when you think about it, but 
you know, I feel like the, the stuff that you can learn to be able to to allow to happen with your mind, or you can you can learn to be able to understand what you can control, understand what the worst what the worst or the, the biggest fear is from a certain situation. I think assessing all that and addressing it and and, and knowing that um, where you can use the anxiety and the, the, the fear in, in your advantage is, is a real benefit and that's 2017 I guess at Old Trafford playing a full game um, and uh, making the most tackles in that game and, and, and being a team which should told us four times in that year so that, that that's the biggest highlight for me um, for sure and yeah that that's that's sort of I've covered a lot there Lloyd um, but yeah mate tell me tell me Lloyd about you know how you worked in towards being aware of mental health and, and, and um, what worked for you mate the next half hour is mine now Steve is there <laughs> you're going now mate mic drop go Lloyd you go um, uh, mate I think just picking up one point from what you spoke about there, I think it's really interesting and talking about the uh, rugby and the macho-ness not allowing the vulnerability for people because every week we do analysis on debrief a game and show where we were vulnerable the week before as a team and as a sport but then we don't actually think about the human beings within there and deal, deal with that. So we admit to our vulnerabilities and weaknesses in a sense of performance but then we don't, we don't look at the people inside that. I've always found that really interesting especially... Uh, uh, the last uh, couple of years. And I think when we speak about mental health, whether you've been affected seriously, whether it's something like depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, even, even if you haven't been diagnosed with that, everybody at some point has had their mental health affected. And I think uh, at the moment, we're, we're in a place where we either only speak about it if we've been through something that seems really serious from afar, or if you've not been affected by it, by it at all. Uh, one, of, one of my uh, teammates said to me the other day, he said, oh, uh, Lloyd, I think like love, like love the stuff you're doing, but I think at the moment we're at a point where people speak about mental health if they've been through something really serious, or speak about mental health if they haven't been through anything at all, or we don't speak about mental health when we're actually going through it. I thought that's a, that's a really, really interesting point. And I think that the more we carry on checking in with each other day to day, um, see those changes in people or feel safer speaking about these things, the less that middle zone will be. And I think when uh, we talk about where we want to push mental health in the future, for me, it's that we can check in when things are good or bad. But when we are going through things and uh, think we talk about a shit has hit the fan, we're able to speak about it before we've actually dealt with it as well or before we're at a crisis point. And that's, a, that, that for me, moving forward, that, that is, if you could say anything, where do you want it to get to, is the fact that we don't just speak about it at the start and we speak about it at the end. We speak about it all the time, and that's really important to me. And talking about career highlights, I must say, getting to 100 games for the Ospreys uh, was a career highlight for me. I, um, I always thought, uh, when I was coming through the academy, if you got to 100 games for one club, you'd done a really good job of staying there, um, being around people in the club, meaning something to you. Um, so that was really important to me. And leading up to that, I'd had countless injuries, been dropped um, probably more times than games I'd had. So there were lots of things that 
you had to deal with on the way up. But looking around the change room just after receiving your yeah, 100 games and looking around and thinking, a lot of boys who started in the academy with me are not here now. Um, whether it's through careers being over, through injury, uh, not, not getting a new contract or getting dropped early on or moving on. Um, loads of different reasons for that. But sitting there in my home club's badge, thinking I've got to 100 games, is really, really a proud moment uh, for me. But the, the leading up to that, there's been countless surgeries, there's been uh, time spent in your house when other boys are playing and you're thinking, ah, oh, like, why am, I, why am I doing this? What, uh, is it, am I good enough? And you're, cut, and you're doubting yourself, that vulnerable stage comes to you and you're going, I don't know if I am good enough. Oh, I don't know if my body can take this. Oh, is this something else I should be doing and go elsewhere? And we have all those questions. But then when you can sit back after a game and think to yourself, yeah, I've done, it, I've done this a hundred times in this jersey. I've loved doing it. I still love doing it. That, that's probably my proudest moment. And it's one of those moments as rugby players, Stevie, you know, we don't reflect. We just go, right, this is, we won this week. Let's go and win next week. Straight on to the next game as soon as you finish. So it was nice after 100 games just to have that point where you sit back a little bit and go, oh, it's a, it a decent journey up to here. There was uh, two kicks in the teeth, um, a few moments where you feel uh, taller than mountains, but there was also those bits in between where you are just rolling through game to game. So for me, that would be uh, definitely a career highlight. And I love thinking to myself now, whatever happens in my career, whenever it ends, whenever thing that I did get to over 100 games for uh, what is my uh, local region. So I, yeah, that would be what I'm most proud about. And yeah, yeah, you've you touched on a lot of things there. Um, and I have to write mine because it always, it always um, misses me when I start talking. But the, the, the idea that you, that you talked about there, like the, the self-doubt or the, um, you know, maybe it's the imposter syndrome or maybe it's just reflecting and sort of um, taking stock of where you are. I, I've just, I've been thinking about this quite a bit recently, um, but I think that seems to be even more of a thing um, for athletes or for rugby players when you're in that state, because a lot of the other time, you're actually thinking that you're invincible or you're thinking, or you're feeling like you're invincible, because that is sort of the mindset um, that you've got to get into as a as a rugby player because of, of what you're doing, of, of of what job you're doing. And I know um, I know rugby union players only tend to make you know a fraction of the tackles that the rugby league players do, Lloyd. But um, <laughs> but it's you know both are tough games, both are tough games, and um, I, I feel like. Johnny Wilkinson was on a podcast recently and he's talked about like the, the sort of mind frame that he's been in um, during his career and how he'd be scrutinising himself and he'd be scrutinising others around him and he'd be sort of trying to pick up his self-belief that this will happen and he's going to play this well and he's going to uh, sort of get something from the game which um, is is what he wants and what he what he desires. But along with that is is a sort of the, the invincibility which which you've got to have as a as a as a really player. Um, which I feel like 
it's probably uh, necessary. Necessary, I think it's, it's, it's probably needed. But um, I think you've got to be all right with taking that 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 that. What is it? Um, invincibility cape off, if you like. You, you've got to be all right with doing that for the rest of your life because you can't go around thinking that or living an invulnerable life all the time because it's just not going to work. You, you need to allow the, 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 the spectrum of mental health, the emotions, the, the um, decisions and the, 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 the tough things in life to arise and to deal with and be okay with that um, and, and to, to, to invite some tactics and to, to invite some um, processes that you go through in the week. Um, so I, I feel like that is probably... Um, quite a tough thing for an athlete and, and, and anyone in the high performing game or job business to to allow the, the bits in the middle you know the bits in the middle where you've got to work things out where you've got to solve things and, and um, work things out for yourself and um, also with rugby league players I think that there's there's actually a term um, Hannah might know this but there's a term in psychology um, rigid obsessive paradox Forget the name, I'll have to look at, uh, in a bit while you're talking, Lloyd, but it's basically, as you mentioned, whenever I have time or allow time to reflect, it's a constant achievement treadmill that, that you find yourself on. You find yourself on this treadmill to, to keep going and to keep going. You never stop because you've got this end goal in, in mind, but because you're so fixated on this goal, the other things change around you, so relationships, you know, um, people that you speak to, people that that, that you may love, they may love you. They all change and adapt around your single-minded um, attitude to get things done and, and to, to not allow weakness and to not allow adaptation, which I think is a, a really interesting thing to think about. Um, and I think that's a balance. I think there's so many ability players that I know, uh, myself being one that have of being in that sort of mindset. And I think as well, uh, talking about vulnerability, I think, and this comes back to that quote that I bought last night, but I think there's a real courage, um, just as there is when you're going out to play rugby, because in reality, you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea if you're going to end, end the game coming off injured. You have no idea if you're going to win. You have no idea if you're going to um, make it to yourself on the cameras. You don't know, but there's, there's, a, there's a courage for going out and acting um, when you don't know the outcome, which I think is, is real courage. And I think as you were speaking there about people speaking at the end of um, sort of mental health um, struggles or, or, or things that they've had to go through, to be able to do it while you're doing it, while, you, while you're... Um, actually suffering while you actually don't know the answers I think is, is real courage that's real courage for me um, to be able to do that and to be able to speak to someone and go to them and say I don't have the answers I'm feeling like um, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling down um, I went on the Super League show the other week actually and there's a bit of a, an air of sort of question of, of um, how I am and what's going on. And, uh, the first question was, how am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm the, um, the interviewer asked me how I'm doing and I thought, do I just sort of like 
say I'm all right, you know, I'm a process, I'm trying to get better, all this sort of stuff. But I wanted to give more of an honest answer. I wanted to say, look, I'm up and down. There's some days where I'm really sort of down. There's days where it doesn't, it's not working for me. Um, but I said, like, I'm all right, but being honest, being more honest, I'm up and down. Um, the emotional stuff for concussion is really tough to deal with. And then the mental stuff as well. Um, and the physical symptoms, obviously, are still with me. So I wanted to make that into a thing where I could sort of step out of it and just say, this is actually, holistically, on the whole, this is actually how I'm feeling. Um, just so people could see that, 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 you know, I've not got it all covered. I'm still not there. I'm, I'm eight months, nine months down the line of a, um, a really serious concussion. And I don't have the answers to, to get better yet. I don't know if I will get fully better yet. But I feel like that if the one thing that I can do is, is make the suffering um, that I tend to go through a lot um, worthwhile by passing my message to people and by um, putting it out there. Um, so that's, that's why I wanted to, to be honest. And I, I feel like it's real courage to actually put yourself on the line um, without knowing the outcome and without knowing that, that think you haven't mastered things yet. What do you think to that, mate? Yeah, man, I think hugely important. The fact that, um, yeah, we definitely need that invincibility cloak on, whatever you want to call it, whether it's um, whatever you look at, whether it's a boxer's cape poorly, uh, they're... Uh, before they go into a ring, whatever. Um, I think we definitely need that. I don't know how it works in uh, rugby league, but in rugby union, you've got a six-month clause in your contract. So if you get an injury that lasts over six months, a club can get rid of you. So, like, if you if you sat back and thought about that all the time, you, like, you wouldn't take the field, be half as committed as you are every game. Like, there there'd be no way. So you have to have that era of invincibility and you have to have, um, talking about going back to that Johnny Wilkinson podcast, you have to have an, an element of being quite selfish as well because, you're, like you said, you're going out there running a lot of risks and if, like when you, like Stevie, you spoke about now with the concussion, it's not only you living it, it's everybody around you and whether that's a, a head injury, whether it's a physical injury, everybody lives around you. I know I've been a points in my career where I've had a just signed a contract week after I get a long-term injury I'm ringing my head coach saying mate did that contract go through am I have I still got a contract because do I need to go and tell my wife that we've got six five six months left of pay and then I don't know what we're going to do after that like it's not just you in it but you have to have that selfishness where you think at times, it is only me in it, and I have to do it. And whether that's burdening yourself with the responsibility of, like, um, my career needs to carry on going in the right direction for me to set up me and my family, or whether it's uh, from my ego point of view, where where we talk about like a chimp paradox, where I just want to go out there and beat my chest and go. Uh, when we talk about fight, flight, or freeze, and I just want to fight and. Like you have to have that selfishness and at times, and it is probably a hard balance to see probably your family. I know my family has seen me plenty of times get strapped up on the field, uh, re-strapped up, and they're thinking, "Yeah, it's probably pretty bad." Or um, he's probably done something. I remember coming off one game, and one of the teammates saying to me in the change room, "We got like I hadn't even been assessed for the physios." At this point goes, "Mate, you're out for at least a couple of months. You're going to need an off." 
was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you wouldn't have come off if you didn't. And then I'm thinking, shit, if I don't need an op now, I, I'm, I'm weak now. So I hope, like you're almost hoping that you need an op. So the boys are not saying you're soft for going off. So it's always a balance for you. Like things you put your body through. Uh, my mother-in-law says to me that I think that by the time I have grandchildren, they'll look back and think that rugby was like a gladiatorial sport that we look back now at uh, some of the gladiator games and we think that that's, that was crazy. What were they doing? And she said, at some point, we're going to look back probably at rugby and think that. But I don't know. We're doing a lot to make it a lot safer. So I'm not going to get into that debate. But it is, it is an interesting way of looking at it um, at times. But the vulnerabilities and uh, being honest about where you are, I know we, we, at times we are media robots. We go um, ask us a question. We know what the club wants us to say. We know what we should say. And we just end up saying that and we don't, don't always speak the truth. And that's what I've loved about doing what I do uh, with Living Well, just having the honesty. And then you have a lot of people then coming on who are honest about why we should speak about mental health or why they haven't at times. Um, and that honesty is brilliant. And mine's come from doing, I went to do an introduction to counselling course about uh, three or four years ago. And I thought I knew I would just speak to people. I thought... Uh, like I was caring, considerate, and probably a lot of people would still say at the time I probably was. But the actual difference between engaging, putting your phone down, uh, putting your phone down, giving some silence, letting people feel safe in your presence to speak the truth, like that—that that is unbelievable and so powerful. And um, I was only saying, my my old man's on this call, Stevie. So I was only saying to him last night that. Um, that about Wim Hof and talking about different ways of learning and education. But I guess somebody has said to me at 18, no, you're going to, you need to do some deep breathing. And uh, that, that's the thing that gets you through. I'd be like, no chance. I need to do more contact. I need to hit people more. And that's, that's the thing that's going to make me a better rugby player. But then you get further on your career, you start learning a little bit more by yourself about what's going on around you. And you start thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm okay with speaking about what I think is important. And a couple, of, uh, a couple of months ago when I was starting up Living Well, um, somebody I've connected you with, Stevie Ben John, he said to me, he goes, uh, when you start up your company, once you get over yourself, you'll be all right. And I started thinking, what do you mean by that? And I started thinking about it, I started reflecting on it. And he, was, he just meant, when you let your ego go, uh, it's okay. Like you, you'll do things that's really important to you. And I thought that that's a huge thing. Even in rugby, we do need an ego. But when it's bigger than just your ego, and it's more things involved in that, it's bigger than just what your mind's telling you, it's so much more powerful. And we talk, uh, we'll probably speak about it a little bit later, CB, about the team, the team environment. But when the team means more to you than just you, like that is, that is a team that's moving forward and not just individuals who are, trying to do the best they can. And that's, if you ever look at um, the teams that have had results, they might have some amazing players. Uh, like we've all, probably, nearly all of us have watched The Last Dance um, and knew how important Michael Jordan was, but probably didn't know how important everybody else was in that team. Um, mm-hmm. But to them, it wasn't the, they obviously had a bit of ego driving them. You don't get to that level without having a bit of ego. But it was the fact of being a team, being involved in what could change the rest of your life and that was more important than just their ego so I think the more we are honest the more we are open and the more time we give people to speak find out more about each other 
the the fact that it does become bigger than you and it's not just uh, your ego that's driving you all the time. It's, it's so true. Um, the ego is like, I think it's something you could go down the rabbit hole with. Um, certainly looking at like this sort of Eastern philosophy around it or looking at it from a, a Western side um, is certainly something which, which you know, it comes in, it comes into so many different facets, I guess, as a rugby player. You, you mentioned like media robots. I sometimes think I speak too much um, truth sometimes. I don't know, I'll speak too much. Um, I'll just talk too much, I don't know. Um, but the, um, the media robot side of it, you know, I think that's sort of like your ego taking on a protection sort of um, form, you know, like just getting through the interview, not not saying anything, anything too um, too, too much that the media will pick on, pick up onto its headline, or you know, just sort of it's safety, if you like, it's safety just to get on with your job, just to sort of um, get on with things and, and to know the best best sort of um, route to go down. And, and I can remember a, a few years ago looking into this sort of stuff, and, and, and never sort of thought. Um, about the ego, you mentioned the chimp paradox. I never thought about this sort of voice that's inside your head, which um, I feel like stuff like meditation, stuff um, like the Wim Hof um, side of things, yoga, um, I feel like that sort of allows you to become more aware of that that voice inside your head, that, that um, sort of the mind, the form that the, the mind can take on in, in different ways. Um, but I remember seeing something, uh, a quote or, uh, in a book, saying that um, how many times have you believed your mind um, or they've been tell- your mind's been telling you something that has just proved to be completely false or have no evidence behind it or to take you through a situation which has never been the way that you've sort of envisaged it or, or sort of um, thought that things would happen. Um, and it's sort of saying like your mind can be the worst advisor sometimes. Um, and, and I think up to a point, certainly up until about 21 or thereafter, I was always pushed by my mind and, and the inner voice or the ego, um, which, you know, it's gone to some good places, but it's also caused a lot of unnecessary suffering and um, some things which which are just bizarre and and, and push me to things which which um, aren't actually the best for me and and that might be through that sort of safety voice that might be through that sort of worrying voice but you come to know yourself you come to know more about mental health and you understand the role that, that plays and you need it like you said well you need your ego you need this this inner voice sometimes. But you also know you need to know how to switch it off or to quiet it down a bit and to sort of not be hostage to it, but to, to be an observer, if you like, um, which I feel like is a really, really big thing. And I don't think that gets spoken about much or enough with mental health. I think, you know, the, the stuff that, that comes out about mental health is to talk about it and to tell people you're struggling. But I also think... There's some inner knowledge that, that, that is required and there's some inner knowledge which if people can grasp and do more work and get to know themselves a little bit, little bit better, then 
they can make informed decisions and have more governance um, and, and sort of be non-judgmentally aware of, of what's actually going on in their head, which is a, is a big thing, um, which I've just simply had to sort of acknowledge over the last few years. So I think that, that is a big thing. And a message which I'd, I'd, I'd keep pushing. I'm wondering if, if we, we should open up to a few questions at the minute, Lloyd. What do you think? Yeah, mate, let's get, let's get them in. Yeah, let's get them in. Anyone raise their hand if they, they fancy a question? Oh, there's a thumbs up. Yeah, I like that. A bit of a thumbs up emoji. Um, okay, mate, we'll ask you to unmute here. Yeah, cheers, Stevie. Um, it's kind of a question for you both, really. I've just wrote it down. So, um, for someone starting out to look to actively improve their mental health, what is sort of the easiest or simplest thing that someone can do or implement to uh, to, to take that first step on the ladder? You want to go, Lloyd? Yeah, I'll go, mate. Morning, um, Ed. Thanks for the question as well, Pat. Um, Matt, there's there's a simple thing on the NHS website called Five Ways to Wellbeing, and I, I always go I always go back to that, and for for its simplicity, um, it talks about uh, being trying to be physically active, talks about connecting to people, learning new skills, so that uh, you and being mindful and being present. Trying to think of the fifth now, <laughs> but I always go back to that and always reflect on what have I done. Like, so I don't know if I'm ever feeling a bit low, a bit not right. I always think to myself, right, what have I done on this over the last couple of days to make sure that, like, I feel all right? And then I might think to myself, like, you haven't spoke to anyone, or when you give, when you give, uh, mm-hmm. your, when you give your best mate the ring, you haven't spoke to him for a couple of days. Or I, have, or I might, it might be a couple of days off training and you think to yourself, oh, I haven't trained. So I think, all right, if I'm not going to train, why don't I take the dog out for a nice walk or something like that? So I always think it's just something nice to go back on. So my five ways to well-being, I think, is a brilliant way to, um, to just have a look at and just think, uh, what have I done and what's, what's important to me? And I also think it gives you a little bit of structure around your life as well. It gives you, if it's like learning a new skill, you start reflecting and thinking, Oh, I'm done that for a while. What, what what could I do? What could I do now? And that, that tends to push you forward into some some mad ideas, some really good ideas, and some things you follow through, some things you don't. But it gets you thinking anyway. The physical activity for me is like oh, mental health and physical activity to me go hand in hand. Whether I don't, and I don't mean you have to go out and beast yourself, but some time in fresh air, whether it's going for a walk, going for a, going for a little bit of a run, or, or if it is beasting yourself, beast yourself, but that balance there. But I think the connections to me is huge, and uh, Stevie probably didn't mention this earlier when he, um, when he was speaking, but I asked Stevie to do a thing on my Instagram called Four Questions With. Um, just messaged him, and in fairness, got back to me, um, said, like, look, no problem at all, did it. And then about an hour after you'd sent me the videos across, so I had a phone call off of Stevie Ward coming up my phone. I was a bit like, thinking, hey, what's he want now? Is he telling me he, he, I can't use the videos or uh, I need to get rid of them or something? And he was like, um, he introduced himself, um, said what he was about, what he was doing. And he said, I always say that connections are really important to me. Why should I just send you a thing and not find out a bit more about what you're doing? 
And I spoke to Stevie then for about an hour at that point. He told me a little bit what was going on about his concussion and where, where he was with mentality and everything. And then since then, we've obviously stayed in touch quite a bit and blasted some few ideas back and forth to each other. And obviously, we're here today doing this. And at that point, I thought to myself, connections has always been important to me. I love speaking to people. It's really important. But actually living by the standards you set, I think, is really important as well. So what's important to you? Don't be scared to do it, whatever anybody thinks. Like I said earlier, let your ego go. What's important, do it. And I think Stevie and Fairness Gym really showed me at that point that it's really important to what you say you live by, really live by them as well. And hopefully for Stevie, um, him picking up the phone was beneficial. Um, but for definitely from my point of view, him picking up the phone and saying about the connections things was really beneficial. And it's definitely one of those points on uh, five ways to well-being as well. Sorry, have I gone off on a bit of a tangent there? But it was it was to do with the initial point anyway. No, no, it's no. on. Thank you. I love that. I'll just add into that, uh, that little anecdote, Lloyd. Um, that when I did the videos, I wasn't feeling great at all. Um, I was a bit sort of in one of those, those moods where um, you need something to bring yourself out of it. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but um, going back to that mind being the worst advisor, at that moment, I can remember my mind was saying, do the videos, um, send them to, to Lloyd and just sort of, you know, do that, go back to sit on the sofa and, and all this sort of stuff. But I remember that being a bit of a, a mode where I think a lot of this may, may be practice as well. So you're knowing, you're knowing that sort of advisor in your head or you're knowing um, where it's leading to. Um, and, and this is where you can sort of be non-judgmentally aware of what's going in your head and have governance. And I thought, you know what? You know, Lloyd's doing something that looks pretty good. He's, he's stepping out of what I imagine is his comfort zone. I just want to give him a ring and just talk to him about the videos and talk to him about what's going on. Because um, obviously, I, I know my values as a, as a human being, and, and one of them, which is um, sort of, or it should be a value for, um, and, it, and it is, it's sort of like what humans need. We're social beings, we need connection. I thought I'm going to give him a ring, and, and I felt. 10 times better after that call. Um, and, and, and it sort of leads me on to another point where, you know, it, it gets banded around quite a lot and it, and it should be. And, it, and it, it's, it's getting people to actually be okay with talking and it's, it's, it's a brilliant cause. But I think the other question that, that we may be progressing on to now is how do we listen? How do we actually truly listen to someone? Who, who, who may need it or who may need to talk about something and um, this is a bit this is a bit off off, um, off script but Hannah it is still there could I ask you as Hannah's um, I want to bring Hannah in because she's a she's actually a, a, a psychologist but yoga teacher and meditation teacher so I just want to ask someone who has both the western and the eastern um, she's covered the globe uh, in, in research and, and learning about how how to maybe truly listen and, and what would your advice be on that Anna if I could just bring you in yeah um, well firstly I just want to say what you're doing is amazing with mentality and I think that you're already creating an awesome space for people to be able to open up and be vulnerable. And in the yogic thought, we say that how we are inside is mirrored 
to the world. And I think you create an awesome space for yourself to be vulnerable and open to the feelings that you're really feeling, which allows others a space as well to be vulnerable. I think that's super important because the way you're behaving is then mirrored and other people feel safe and, and secure to do so. But in the psychology frame of mind, we wouldn't necessarily go into a conversation and dive in with, oh, well, I'm feeling like this, so I know how you're feeling. We would be open and give space first for someone else to say how they're feeling so that we recognize that we may not understand exactly how they're feeling because everyone feels things differently. Um, but that we're offering a space that's non-judgmental. You mentioned that earlier as well. And um, free, free for them to open up. And so there's two ways of looking at it. Firstly, having a community as you've got here and, 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 and mirroring what you want people to behave like and being open and vulnerable. And the second way with the psychology type of background, we would say maybe if you're having a one-to-one -one conversation with somebody and they come to you and they say, you know, I'm going through this, maybe your initial thought is to leave that space. So still talking about space as a concept leave that space for them to open up without diving in straight away and kind of going, oh yeah, well, yeah, you know, I know how you feel because sometimes we don't know exactly how people are feeling inside. So I hope I haven't confused the two concepts there, but concept one, having that mirrored, you know, you're vulnerable so someone else is vulnerable. And then concept two in the psychology world is just, is leaving space, leaving space for them to, to talk without diving in. Um, and just knowing that, that where they're talking is, is, is safe, then you're not going to yeah. go on and tell someone else. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good point, actually. And, and um, I, I've got a lot to work on, actually, in, in the way that um, I notice sometimes without people actually signalling, and I think I'm quite good at when people talk about it and when people tell me how they're feeling. Um, I'm the first to, to listen and to, to want to be involved and to help out. Um, but I think sometimes I need to be better or more receptive when I'm not getting the, um, the, the physical cues or the, uh, you know, the, the, the messages, the, the blurred messages, if you like. And, and, and even when people do tell you, um, I hope that, that I am getting better at after doing a few podcasts and, and interviews and stuff that it's, it's sometimes better to, to actually listen to what's being said, actually listen to the content without that mind kicking in with a, an automatic reply or the, the, the need to get involved, the need to sort of speak and frame how you want because we are... Uh, I'm the first to say that I don't know how someone feels. I don't know what the best thing is for them. But presenting that space and that 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 acceptance, the ability to to hear people really before your mind is processing the reply, I think is a really big thing. Um, and and this is a question like I, you know, how do we listen? How do we truly listen to people? I think is a is a really sort of big 
question for us. Um, and that might be the theme that is taken out of this because, you know, people can talk, but I'm hoping that there's, there's a two-way thing where people have talked, but they've also been heard and that message is safe for people to um, to respond to. Um, so, yeah, thanks thanks very much for that, Hannah. Um, I've rubbed you in a bit there, didn't I? But, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, heart rate went up a little bit there. She's I did just think it did just spark something else when you said um you know letting the other person talk sometimes you, I think your question was how do we listen to someone it firstly is leaving that space but secondly if you're feeling like maybe they want to say more but they don't know how they want to say more um, yeah. pick up on the words that they've used so again comes back to mirroring there's so much reflected in eastern and western uh thought so they might say oh i felt really anxious when this and it made my heart rate rise or whatever <laughs> like it just made me feel <laughs> i'm joking I was like, Sorry. Um, <laughs> so you might you might leave them a bit of a gap don't be afraid of silence and then say oh, you said you were feeling anxious and your heart rate was lifting. Was there anything else? Or mirror back what they've just said to give them, you know, the space to then continue the frame of thought. Or, I don't know, that's quite a nice technique as well for them to feel like you've absorbed what they've said rather than, like you said, dive back in with your own way of framing it. You've just gone, I'm listening now. I'm listening. I heard you. Mm, like that, I like that. That's great. Thanks, Anna. Um, is he, he anyone else? Oh, I don't know if Lloyd's got anything on that, or if there's anyone else that, that wants to dive in and get the anxious, the, the anxious uh, heart rate going and ask <laughs> ask a question. Anyone else who wants a question? Tom. Yeah. How do we mute? Morning, lads. Uh, firstly, thank you so much both for, for putting on a great. Great session so far. I think it, it, you know, just from a fan's perspective, more than anything, it, it's massively helpful to have, you know, people like like yourselves, just literally just just starting the conversation and just saying, you know, what well, I might be a six foot two, or in Lloyd, Lloyd's case, probably close to six foot nine, <laughs> you know. But I still, you know, I still have my, my tough days, and, and yeah, I think it helps us all to to really kind of. Um, yeah, I suppose reflect a bit more on ourselves. But my, my questions for Lloyd probably, um, obviously state of mind has been set up to, to support rugby league players, obviously since, since getting going in 2011. I'm interested to hear whether you think rugby union is, is doing enough, in your opinion, um, I suppose, to encourage people to speak about mental health, because obviously I appreciate you know, as, as you're wearing the top, you know, you've got the likes of loose heads and stuff like that. And you've got all sort of these small, smaller, independent kind of organisations. But as to, to my knowledge, there isn't that similar platform to state of mind that, that rugby union has. And I don't know, I, I'm just interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very valid point. And the fact um, with the Ospreys, when we first, I, I remember about four or five years ago, arranging a meeting, uh, first mental health a bit of awareness session, maybe about four years ago. And I asked State of Mind to come down. And in fairness, um, Danny McFinnigan and uh, Jimmy Gitts come down then. And uh, they were brilliant. I remember organizing the session, thinking probably have about 
three or four boys day after training. And then all of a sudden we had a full squad in there. And then from that point of view, I thought to myself, oh, that, that's a thing of perspective then because we speak about mental health before, but I speak about it maybe with um, uh, counsellors or psychologists that don't really understand professional sport. But then all of a sudden when state of mind set up, boys felt there was a safe place they should listen because state of mind understood what, what the boys were going through, what they've been through. And all of a sudden that connected the boys. So I do think State of Mind is brilliant for, for that. And I do think it's brilliant for Rugby League. And obviously it was set up for a very sad reason, but has gone on to do some fantastic work. But, but just speak about, it's hard to speak about the English Premiership because I know, I know they've got Restart Rugby. They put a lot of money into their uh, mental health programme. I don't know the ins and outs of it, so it'd be hard for me to to comment on that. But if we uh, going back to Wales, like I've just um, the last couple of months, I've signed up to be uh, lead for mental health and well-being uh, with the Welsh Rugby Players Association, and we are trying to do a lot of work in uh, into putting support in place for players. The Welsh Rugby Union have got their own clinical psychologist um, full time that uh, is there to support players for any extra help that they need. Um, so there's definitely things being done. Could I say, Tom, there's enough being done? No, because there's still players struggling and we will continue to do a lot more. I don't, I can't say I definitely know the answers of what's the right setup yet, but I definitely think that we're being very proactive in what we're doing and seeking a lot of advice from players in support they need, how, where they feel comfortable. Um, and it is moving forward. We're having lots of conversations now where we probably were having forced-in conversations before. Now we're having a lot more open conversations, um, and not just with one or two players, with quite a few players, and hopefully that continues to grow and grow. So I'm not sure what it looks like, whether it's um, a charity involved. Um, as part of the WRPA, there's called a second-half charity. Um, that, that will also be putting money into uh, the support of mental health for players over the next couple of years. But you know, we do need to find out um, what players need, what it looks like. Um, and I do feel that we are starting to get somewhere now. But I am worried the fact that there's obviously been players who've uh, slipped through the gaps when we haven't got it in place. So that's, that's a worry for us. We, we're getting things in place, but we're also being proactive in a reactive stage rather than being proactive years ago but hopefully we are getting somewhere and I hope that whatever the model looks exactly like I'm not sure but we are definitely getting a structure in place where we've got a clinical psychologist um, in each region they've got a personal development manager um, in the Ospreys there's a guy called Tim Jones he used to be a police officer absolutely fantastic all the players feel uh, pretty safe to go to him and they can ask advice to where to go and he, he's not providing the actual mental support and what players need ongoing but he's also a link to where people feel safe starting the conversation and then hopefully he can connect with Dale who's the uh, WIU psychologist or uh, the Ospreys and the WRPA obviously I'm part of the wellbeing team where we can start speaking about these and see whether we need to signpost someone or whether it's just a conversation on a day. So I'm not saying, Tom, that we've got it completely set up, but we are getting somewhere. And uh, hopefully that gives you a bit of an answer of uh, where we're at and what we're trying to do. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Uh, brilliant question, that, Tom. Thanks for the, uh, thanks, thanks for the uh, good words there, Anne Boyle. I think that was. Um, I think Lloyd Evans got a question. 
Um, give us a nominee if you have, but I'm just going to uh, just come off the back of that point. Um, these organisations, uh, they're, they're massively important and the, the, um, the, the, the sheer presence that they have, I think, is, is, is massive to, for people that are struggling to know that there's that presence. But I also think there needs to be some more um, proactive measures from them and reactive measures from them. Um, I'm talking um, from my own my own point of view now, and um, this is hopefully an insight into how men's minds can work um, when they may be struggling. But there's been times where I've felt like, um, or I've wondered if, if people care, um, or if they care about you know you maybe the fact that you may be struggling, the, the, the fact that you may be a bit. Um, struggling or, or, or I don't know the best way to say it just not not right um, I think that there needs to be more reaching out I think there needs to be more proactive measures um, from these organisations because that's I felt like that sometimes and um, I felt like that when, when I'm having a really bad day so a bad day for me at the minute is a migraine I can't watch television I can't go on a screen um, my balance is off when I'm walking and there's a lot going on for me in, in one head um, with those symptoms and that affects me emotionally as well. Um, and just people reaching out or getting in touch, asking, really asking how you are, probably asking how you are and caring how you are is a really big thing. And um, almost wanting to, to get in touch with you, wanting to, to, to really sort of help out I think is a really big thing and it's something that I try to do with, with mentality uh, myself with the club that we've got like the, the accountability group that we've got I really want to make a difference and I really want to ask people and, and help people um, which can be quite tricky when I'm flipping struggling sometimes but I think that that's, that's a really big thing that you, you actually need to to know that there's, there's, there's the um, presence behind the, the organisation the presence behind the the, the labels and to know that everyone everyone can struggle and everyone can 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 go through bits. Um, so great question that Tom and thanks for that Lloyd on, on that. Lloyd Evans, you've got a question, mate. Hi mate UK. Um, just a quick question uh, following Lloyd's point. Um, I know we're all about putting stuff in place for professional players and uh, for the players in the regional game. But I just think a lot of it stems from um, you know, there needs to be more work put into schools, especially with the new curriculum starting. So I think there needs to be a lot of emphasis on the health and well-being of the children. And I think that needs to be supported then in the local rugby clubs who can't just, you know, just have uh, one person in the region to head up maybe like the pro game. I think it needs to be looked after, especially at the grassroots level as well. And then that links in with like the schools programme and the clubs then working together to then... Um, focus on the children's uh, health and well-being. I think that's really important uh, going forward. So, Lloyd, have you got anything uh, in place to, uh, you know, to support those uh, programs? Hi, Lloyd. Nice, Hi, mate. Uh, nice to see you again, mate. Um, <laughs> so, see we just a bit of background. Uh, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Evans, who's asking is. Um, so he was Wales seven, semi-pro rugby player now in Wales, and also a hub officer in uh, one of the local schools. 
Um, so and next to him in, in disguise is uh, Rhys Webb, the British Lion. So he'll, uh, he's hiding there. Though. Um, <laughs> but um, Lloyd, me and Lloyd have had this conversation back and forth a lot. Uh, Lloyd worked uh, in a school which, from a, from a Wales point of view, is a deprived area um, oh. and had lots of individuals in the school struggling, whether it was with motivation, behaviour, um, lots of other things. And he found hugely, uh, don't mean to speak out of turn your life, but found hugely the fact of doing games, physical activities, giving the kids time, giving them a trust, which they probably haven't had before, um, mm. helped hugely in how, the, how they were acting and their well-being. And um, I've got a schools program running with through my company, which deals with primary schools rather than comprehensive, just trying to look through um, to try and get a comprehensive program uh, in place now. But um, matching up with the rugby clubs, it's got to be, Stevie, where you were talking about them, where charities or organisations being proactive, I think that's so important for the community game. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to do a suicide prevention talk in... Caffili Rugby Club, they had sadly uh, lost three members of the club uh, within three or four months. Uh, so we went to do a talk, went to do a talk there. And we need to do more of those things because it's going on. Like, sad as it is, if you look around the South Wales area, if you ask nearly everybody about their local rugby club, um, has your rugby club been affected by a serious mental health issue? Sadly, nearly every rugby club will tell you, yeah, we've had at least one or two players commit suicide or somebody close to the rugby club. And the fact that we still haven't got something in place that allows rugby clubs to seek the help of, whether it's mines, Samaritans, whether it's smaller organisations, whether it's um, something like using one of our, like say, mentality or living well, using those to come and do evenings is is beyond me. And I'm just trying to um, actually catch up with WIU uh, with the, in the community to see what we can get in place that clubs can access and whether they do um, a Samaritan's night, a mind night. And obviously that can go hand in hand with fundraising, but it also gives the club support. And so Lloyd, there is lots uh, going on. Um, I just think the issue is that it's not across the board enough. It's one-off rugby clubs who are being proactive. And I think there should be more emphasis on clubs if they want to be sustainable and supportive in the community to put these things on for everybody involved so they can have they can have that access. And hopefully the more people that carry on beating the drum, because I know you are from a school point of view, I know you are from a WIU community point of view, hopefully the more conversations we have, the more support that's put in place. So it's not only people who are professional who are looked after, it's anybody at all that's linked to rugby clubs, schools, and whether it's not even not only the pupils in school, whether it's the parents who are linked. So everybody has access to some mental health support, some mental health awareness, and some basic education to how to look after themselves. Yeah, that's that's big, mate, and, and I'm pretty concerned. Actually, I, I was um, we did an education thing last last year um, at school, and um, that went really well. It was like eleven lads from year eleven, and the open conversation got started around mental health and um, sort of getting them to be more engaged in school and to understand why they would and, and why it's important for them, which I think is a really big thing. But I was talking the um, the other week to the head of Leeds University Student Union and um, 
if ever there's a time where people need that support, where they need that proactive measure put in place, I think it's I think it's now with the isolation, with them being at university, going to a halls room and being away from communities. Rugby league's not even starting, so they're not going to have the community feel. They're not going to have that connection as we spoke about earlier. Um, and sports, uh, in terms of amateur sport, is is, is not happening uh, for those for these local clubs too. So. There's a nucleus of people there that need this message pushed out there and, and supported um, for reasons why mental health can dip and what to do when mental health can dip and to also feel accepted and to feel like that it's okay for that to happen. Um, I think that the message that I feel is, is, is really strongly being developed um, and put out there with conversations like this, Lloyd, I think needs to happen at these places, needs to happen at um, the, these places where there's a nucleus of people that, that need it. Um, because I think more, now more than ever, it's, it's important to, to advertise this. Um, so a really, really uh, great question, Lloyd. Great answer, Lloyd. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always leave these conversations feeling sort of buzzed and, and, and feeling like there's there's something that, that I I feel like there's people that, that can meet these requirements. It's just, I guess, the logistics of that and, and how that works. Um, but there's ideas coming to mind of how that might happen. Um, is there anyone else that, that fancies a question that, 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 that wants to ask anything? No, I think that's pretty. Yeah, that's, um, oh, we've got Evan's back. Come on, Evan. Yeah, I've got a few written down here, so uh, apologies for asking again. Um, I were kind of touching on sort of the win at all costs and invincibility you on about earlier. So for both of you, uh, really, again, so as sportsmen with an interest in mental health, um, do you think your mindset has shifted from the win at all costs because that could be detrimental at times or...? Are you still kind of, you've got that inner drive where you do want to win all the time uh, despite your, your mental health interest? That's that's an amazing question. That's a really amazing question and I've asked myself that. Um, do you know what? I think there's a sort of, when it gets to match day for me, I think there's a sort of fit or there's a um, position that I can get my mindset in, which is that we're not all costs which probably is detriment to me because I uh, probably tip the balance too much into winning at every cost possible um, and throw myself into collisions, throw myself into the game where I don't want to lose. Um, so the question in terms of does it, does it affect it, does it affect you being on the pitch not wanting to win, I'd say definitely not. I'd say that you're more aware of the shift that happens within yourself. You're more aware of the shift that happens on a game day. Um, but I think the importance of, of, of performing for me has always been the ultimate, um, you know, the stuff going on the week to make sure I'm in that, that place and the, the stuff going on game day is, is um, a balance which I thought about more, but I also believe that I've, I've never sort of left that, that desire to, to play the best um, I think you know talking about vulnerability I think there's there's a time where you can be vulnerable but I think on a, on a game day in those 80 minutes certainly 
that's a time where you can't be vulnerable, if you know what I mean. That's a time where you uh, you you get to be, you get to put that sort of that um, hero's sort of mask on, or you, you get to put that that sort of invincible. Um, it's almost like Harry Potter in it, but it's invincibility cloak. I don't know, not invisibility, invincibility cloak. Um, that you, you can put on. Um, but that's yeah, that's a really good question. That and. Um, I think um, I, I actually want to read an email which which my mate sent me. It was a psychotherapist, um, but he was talking about the it's Hannah. It's called the rigid persistence paradox, um, and he and he says that, that, that this is going a bit deep. This I'm a very deep person, so this is why he sent me. It. He says essentially the obsessed athlete will continue to work to stick to the task of achieving, regardless of enjoyment. They stick to the task in an obsessive manner. The paradox of this is that their inability to shift in their engagement with the task sport can mean that there's a shift in mood and damage to their wider experiencing of the world due to their obsessive nature. Essentially, because they don't change, the world they perceive changes changes them, so they change. And they put a ha-ha on the end, uh, which is... It's, uh, Quite an interesting concept, um, and uh, I, if, if, if I was thinking back about my life, I would definitely, definitely be obsessively fixated on being the best player, being the uh, the best player on the pitch, um, achieving my goals. Um, whether that causes unnecessary suffering on a weekend off um, to not. To not to not enjoy myself, um, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind the sort of losing the sort of happiness and, and um, content. Wouldn't matter as long as I could be that player and, and be that that athlete. So that's a great question. That's my take on it. Um, but yeah, Lloyd, I'd, I'd love to understand where where you are at with that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question as well. But I think that uh, for some reason, as rugby players, we find a way of putting a jersey on and it's your shield and uh, you'd go whatever you need to, um, whatever you need to do, you, you're willing to do. And um, I've been on the field knowing at times that, I don't know, my knee, like I remember dislocating my knee and getting a strap back up and thinking, that's ah, all right, we'll sort out tomorrow, let's win this, and then we can get we can get that done another time. And no, I don't think you ever if you if you I think if I ever lost that, it's time to retire. Um it's time not to do what we do anymore because it's pointless putting your body on the line if you're if you're thinking about it, if you're worried about doing it. It's not worth it. And but it's really interesting then as well sometimes to because you do speak well the mental health side of things to reflect on where you are mentally when you go into games and how sometimes you think to yourself as well, how do I do it as well? You're like, um, I was battered in that game. How do I manage to find a way to do this? But you just do. You've got people around you who are doing exactly the same um, and you care about what you're doing. So uh, whatever whatever pain you're feeling at the time, you know that's a bit temporary. But they're... Uh, the pride of getting through it and getting on with it is well worth it. And I always say that this is really hard why dealing with mental health in rugby is really hard because you're told never to say you're injured 
whatever's going on, don't don't say do whatever you can to not thing. And then that's on a Saturday. And then on a Monday morning, I'm going around asking the boys how they actually feeling and saying they need to be truthful about how they're feeling. It's like, well, well, my legs, my leg feels like it's hanging off. We're not just saying anything because I want to play on Saturday. But you're asking me how are my emotions? How does it, how does this work? How does this balance up? And I think that's why doing the work that we're doing now is so interesting to see. And when you know people are in that uh, frame of mind, like I've seen boys a couple of days post off, and then you go up to them saying, "Mate, how are you doing?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, good." And you're like, "I know you're not. <laughs> like, you don't, you're allowed to say it. You're like, it's not, it's not weak to say it. But we just find a way as rugby players. And like Stevie was saying earlier, but how do you find a way that when you take the jersey off, you're able to be vulnerable and honest again? And I think that's the hard balance of not being that same person you are on and off the field because. Uh, like we spoke about earlier, the person going around the field um, hundred miles an hour trying looks like at times probably looks like they're trying to hurt themselves the way they the way they're so reckless. Um, that that's your probably your, more your ego, your chimp kicking in. Um, but how do you when you take off that jersey? How do you become back to whatever we call as a normal person? And I say that in inverted commas because nobody has a clue what a normal person is, but the the you that uh, was born and not on the rugby field. So I think it's really interesting uh, point of view. But I think if you ever lose that person who's willing to win at all costs, I think it's time to retire because you're not you're not fair on yourself or you're not fair on the people around you either. Yeah, that, that, I like that, mate. I think that's great. I've actually um, just want to put this in just just before uh, before you have a question, Evan. Um, but there are. Uh, there seems to be, or I've, I've sort of, I don't know if anyone's read it or um, uh, seen it, but there's, there's a book called The Inner Game, um, which is is quite an incredible book. And I wish I'd have read it uh, a long time ago. It, it definitely relates to, relates to athletes, but um, basically it's saying that there's two selves of you. So there's a self one. And that self one is the one that loves to control things, that loves to think it's in control and it's got everything it's sussed out. Um, it's got everything sussed out in terms of um, a skill. So it might be the, the references that it uses and, and the way that it takes you through the book is through tennis, but it's the self one that will kick in saying like, I've got my surf sorted. I'm going to throw it up this high. I'm going to I'm going to sort of have this much backswing, and I'm going to come this far over the ball. Um, that's the self one talking. That's the conscious awareness. Um, and to, to long story short, that self one doesn't have a fucking clue what to do or what's going on. Basically, it's the self two, which is sort of your subconscious mind, um, your muscle memory, everything that that is sort of experience to the world, experience of playing the game, has learned everything over the years, the adaptability to be able to learn new skill. That's the thing that actually um, that you need to rely upon. So there's been games where I've gone into things and, I've, and I'm sort of trying to control everything. I'm like a control freak and thinking, okay, can I remember this? What, what's on the game plan? Can I remember um, who I need to go and whack in the first 10 minutes? Can I remember who... Um, I need to run out in the game and all these things even though I've had a full week of training a full week of preparing a full pre-season my conscious mind's taking over and it's thinking I've got to do this I've got to do that right can I remember what I've got to do um, I've got to stretch now I've got to 
And there's so many things that, that comes on, especially in the lead up to a game. Whereas there's been games where I've gone, do you know what? I'm just going to go out and play um, and play like I'm 15 again. Um, I'm going to walk into the training rooms, have a laugh with everyone, take the mic, um, have a bit of a dance with my earphones on and just sort of get into the moment. Then you end up having the best game in life because you're relying on all the backed up knowledge, all the stuff that's actually um, worked for you in the past. And you, if you can switch off that, that self-warm that, that likes to think you know what it's doing, then you're, um, then you're in a good place. Um, and I wish I'd have known that um, quite some time ago. I sort of was aware of it by having this, this mode where I switch into one game day where I'm going to have fun, I'm going to sort of just go with the flow. Um, you know, that's a really big thing. So, yeah, I think even, even if you were... Uh, Try not to think about if you win at all costs or try not to consider that. I think if you rely on yourself too anyway, you're going to go into the game and enjoy it rather than um, trying to control everything too. Um, so that's a good book to look into and a book uh, to understand. The uh, the game is that uh, the book is um, the inner game. It is, um, and I can't remember the artist, but it's the the inner game through the vehicle of tennis. So that'll come up on Google if you search it. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to add that in there. Uh, Evan, any any more questions, Paul? Um, not any more written down. I don't mind if anyone else has got one. I think Hannah's got one there. So, uh, Hannah's got one there. I'll let yeah. someone else have a go. It links on from your previous question, Evan, and um, kind of picks up on what both Stevie and Lloyd have said. So Stevie mentioned the rigid persistence, which... Um, when earlier when you were talking about it, I've I what sprung to my mind was uh, maladaptive or evaluative evaluative perfectionism. So someone who goes out their way to strive and be perfect at things, and to the detriment that then they kind of affect their own feelings of self worth because if they don't reach these unachievable goals that they've set for themselves, then they feel. Uh, like a failure and um, also Lloyd you mentioned that uh, you have as a rugby player this kind of role to uphold and like on the pitch how do you then behave when you're off the pitch when you take your shirt off like how do you just come back to yourself and step out of that role so kind of led on to the question that at the moment flexibility and adaptability is really key and we can't really make plans and we can't really you know, we can't be rigid at the moment. We have to be open and, and adaptable. And so um, knowing that change can be a stressor for many people, do you have any tips on, or is there any ways that you both personally deal with change that you find has been helpful for your mental health? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question, um, and I've had a lot of change. I think even though I've been in the same club um, uh, playing the Rhinos, there's been so much change around me. Um, and uh, the advice, I don't know. I think to be aware of that is one thing. Really, I think being aware of that and aware of, aware of how it may affect you is is sort of one thing. Um, I think as well, like when change is happening, you need to sort of 
make sure you keep connecting with the people and with where it's coming in and who's going out um, and being, being sort of conscious of it. And, and um, as we were saying about before, the connection, um, it can be very easy to sort of um, get carried away with all the change and, and um, think that things are going to be different for you. You're not going to find a foothold in that, but you need to be aware of, of, of the the connection and how you pick up the similarities between you and another person or another another sort of regime or another another um, wave of thinking that's coming in. Um, and you need to find similarities in that because we are all human. We work with comparisons and we work with, um, uh, you know, the difference as well. And that's how we work. That's how we, we, we engage in the world too. Um, yeah, and I think to me that's probably the most I I can offer on that. Um, but I'm wondering if, if if you've got anything wide or if you've got anything as well, Hannah, after that that, that that you may find from that. I think when we speak about control, adaptability, and uh, things around there, Hannah. Um, two months ago today, I was fortunate enough to have twins, um, so I've lost all my control. Uh, very adaptable now. Um, so life, life changed completely from that point of view. And, but I also think from a point of view of there's so much we can't control, but I always look back on what's really important to control for you. So like from an athlete's point of view, for me, it's diet, trying to make sure I make time for recovery, uh, make sure I make time for to do some analysis for whether it's sort of training of a game ready for the next day. So if I know that those three things are really important, I might not be able to control anything else, but controlling those, there might only be one thing a day that you think is important to control. Maybe you know breakfast always starts, starts you up for a day, or you know uh, doing a workout always, always puts you in the right frame of mind. So you might not be able to control anything else, but that one, two, three things that's really important to you that you know you need to do, like having control over that, Sometimes is enough because that is what's really important to you. And for I always say to anybody, everybody says, oh, I say, oh, you say to one of the boys, are you training much now? One of the boys who's not maybe not a professional athlete, but say to you, are you training much now? Oh, no, no, I'm not training much at the moment. I haven't got time. And I carry on a conversation. And then they go, oh, did you see that on Netflix the other day? I, um, I watched all the series one. I was like, I thought you didn't have time. Like, you're, so you're telling me I'm not feeling very good because I haven't trained and I'm feeling like lethargic. I'm feeling a bit um, down about myself because I put on a little bit of weight and thing. But you're telling me you had time to watch what, what turned into eight hours of Netflix, but you didn't have time to train. So I think it's prioritizing and putting control in place what you think's, what you think's really important. And just having a perspective as well. Sometimes the most important thing is to lie down and watch Netflix. And that's going to be better, more beneficial for you. But the perspective of what's going on, I think, is really important and being adaptable to the fact of, and I know a lot of workplace at the moment and I'm finding it hard and I speak to certain people that, because they're sat in the house, they're expecting people to open their emails at seven, eight o'clock in the night. And I'm like, no, your working day, it should be, be exactly the same. It shouldn't have, shouldn't have changed that. Like, they're paying you exactly the same for the hours you worked before. And you're probably doing more now in the house because you've got maybe your own office. You're not, you're not having to go. If you go make a cup of tea in the house, you've probably got a flight of stairs to do. Maybe in the office, you had 
10, 15 minutes or you go into the you go into the area and you have people to speak to so you spend less time at your computer. But now all of a sudden, because you're sat in the house and the laptop's available, you're supposed to, people are expecting you to open emails at 7, 8 o'clock in the night or, oh, should we do a quick Zoom at the end of the day? Yeah, no worries at all. And all of a sudden the alert comes up and it's at 6 o'clock rather than half 4 where the meeting would be in work. So I think it's really important to gain control of what you know you've got control of but then also have a look at what's changed. And sometimes we can't change what's changed, but knowing it is big strength and big power in that as well. So that there'd be my things uh, on that, Hannah. Yeah, and uh, I, I just, just as we were talking there, um, it's probably not a bad way to round off, actually, but um, with everything that's going on in my life, um, not being able to control a whole lot deal or a whole lot of it but um, you know when you're in that position where you can't control things or where you you don't have um, a certain outcome of or um, time frame in mind um, me talking about concussion one thing that I um, always do come back to is well two things I think one is is meditation and um, always allowing myself that time of the day to bring myself back to centre and to be aware of, of where that that advisor um, is telling me how to act um, in my mind and you know um, being aware of that but just bring myself back to, to the present moment but one thing that I think is, is essential and, and is, is a form of a bicep curl um, in the mental arena anyway is, is gratitude and um, I always always uh, make sure that I'm being grateful each day and, and you know we're, we're doing this through the mentality club and the mentality accountability group that we've got going but it's, it's a reminder to make sure that, that I'm being grateful every day. I use a six-minute diary at the minute, um, and that's basically uh, in the morning, having a form of gratitude, but also on, on an evening too. Um, and yesterday I was struggling. I struggled for three points, but there's also almost a click in my mind um, where I thought about stuff that I'd, I'd done that day. I was seeing people. But um, coming to the third point, um, I just realised that I was grateful that I've got brain injury, but I can still walk, I can still walk places, I can still go to the car, get in the car, come up to the hotel, see friends, um, walk up the stairs at night. You know, that, for me, that, that's been taken away quite a bit in my life anyway, but um, just to zone down into the actual thing which you actually have before that you're grateful to have, um, I think a massive sort of way to give yourself back governance, if not control, on what's going on in your life too. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just cautious of time. It's 36 minutes past 11, but I've massively enjoyed today. I'm actually really grateful for that coming off the back of, of the gratitude wagon. Um, but I think it's been really amazing. I think it's been you know a small step to, to progress in the conversation and, and to go and beyond stigma too. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Lloyd, have you, have you got anything to, to add to that? And I'll pick up with your last point, Stevie, on gratitude, then I'll, I'll uh, say uh, the, the ending bit. But the bit on gratitude is, strangely, you're going to sound, you think I'm sound crazy now when I say it, but the, the thing of gratitude, I've probably learned most of, of my dog, right? I lock my dog around the side of the house every day when I got to go to work. Some of the time it's absolutely hammering down, it's cold, whatever. And I open the gate, the dog springs out, 
so excited to see you, jumps up and down, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, I've locked you outside right now, it's just freezing cold, and you're still happy to see me. How does this work? And I always think to myself, like, they're, all they're focused on is at that moment, present. They're not thinking, what's just happened for eight hours? Like, if we could be more like that and live in the moment, I, I think we'd show so much more gratitude for, for what we've got. And like you said there, Stevie, that even though you're going through what is a trauma to the brain and is very severe, you've still got so much going on and to be thankful for. And if we can be more like that and live in the present and not think, oh, I'm, I'm late, I've, I've got these bills to pay, I've got this to do, I've got this coming up, and just went, I'm alive, I'm able to walk, I've got my family around me, or I've got friends around me, or I'm just able to do what I want to do for two minutes. Like, we'd, we'd be a lot more thankful for what we've got going on, and I think moving forward, that's got to be where we go with conversations about just being present, and like you said, you use um, meditation, um, I use, like I said, the dog walking to, to reflect and uh, sip and think about what's going on. Um, but I just want to say thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. When me and Stevie thought about putting this on, we wasn't sure if it was just going to be me and Stevie. Dom managed to change a few things around and get on, so it might have only been the three of us, first of all. But thank you very much, everybody else, for joining us. It's been a brilliant conversation. I think, Stevie, the worrying thing is we probably do about five or six hours carried on like this i'm sure it'll be uh i'm sure it'll be picked up at another time and uh we can do more but like i said at the start of uh this call it is to me happy mental health world mental health day i think as soon as we mention the uh mental health we all automatically go negative it's got a stigma towards it and everyone sort of slumps in their chair because they're a bit nervous about what's going to come up but the fact that everybody's been so open, so honest, whether it's been with the questions, whether it's been with the answers. Uh, I've hugely appreciated it and absolutely loved being a part of it. So thank you for giving up your time. Um, mm. And hopefully it's given you some insights, some helpful tips, maybe some non-helpful tips. Hannah's probably looked at some of us and looked at me and thought, I've got many more knowledge than this guy. What's he speaking about? And uh, But <laughs> we, we all look at things from our own perspective and it's so important that we share that and I've really appreciated all of you uh, sharing your perspective and uh, learning from each other. So I hope you all have a brilliant day and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, guys. Have a great day, will you? Drop, drop me a line for any questions or any, any things that you might want to see Mantelli doing, but thanks so much. Um, I think the, the gratitude and the meditation, um, you know, we don't need more time. I think we just need to create the ability to live more in the moment and to live more deeply in the moment um so thank you guys very much and um we'll see you next time eh? might do another one we'll see you next time cheers guys really enjoyed thank you, you. namaste cheers, cheers. Guys. hello guys thank you for listening to that that was i found really really exciting i got a big buzz from it a lot of knowledge from you guys chipping in asking the questions and asking some questions that i'd not really thought about uh, which were amazing less prepared and uh, off script just like this uh, outro is but thanks hannah and thanks evan for chipping in and asking those questions thank you lloyd and uh, thank you lloyd the man himself lloyd ashley for for being the the main guest if you like on that podcast i'm considering doing another one um, and another few and 
It's three years since the 2017 Grand Final when I played just six days after dislocating my shoulder and uh, going down into theatre to get it put back in. I'm considering having a bit of a, a Zoom podcast chat discussion with some of the boys from that team um, from three years ago talking about some stories from behind the scenes that not a lot of people will know about but talking about some of the journey in a bit more depth um, for that year and what happened uh, just want to gauge some interest for whether people are up for that and um, you know if, if people fancy joining us with a coffee whether it's a Saturday morning or whether it's a Wednesday if you are do send me an email send me an email at stevie at mentalitymagazine.com and just tell me if you're in let me know if you're in for the 2017 grand final recap or slash reflection because i'd be really keen to do that and really keen to talk with some of the players from that team maybe the coaches from that team quite an interesting one that we'll have to put a cap on that one but if you email me after listening to this podcast we'll make sure that you guys are at the front of the queue um, because you listen to this pod and you've been with us on this pod so there you go drop me a line at stevie at mentalitymagazine.com speak soon guys thank you for listening as always you uh, allow me to do this stuff you allow me to bring this conversation to you which gives me joy and makes me feel like i am living in alignment with my values so thank you guys see you soon enjoy the rest of your day peace